to the Word of God. New Testament, book of Hebrews, chapter 1. I will be reading Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, beautiful Word. Father, let us see and revel as you clearly intend for us to do in your communication to us, personified in your Son. Help me teach accurately the text that's before us. Help us hear and love what we see to the glory of your holy name, to the exaltation of our Savior and your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So the last time we were together here in Hebrews 1, we saw in verse 1, God is a communicating God. He spoke by the prophets to the Jewish people, In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now there's more. Because these verses say that God spoke in two phases. Verse 2. But, in these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son. So notice the structure here. Long ago, God spoke. But in these last days, He has spoken. How? Answer, by His Son. The writer's point is that, yes, it's true, that before Christ came, God was speaking. He was unfolding redemptive history. But how much more is He eager to speak to each of us? Since He has done it in the sending of His Son. The writer wants us to see that this latest speaking, these last days, this communication from God is greater. It is better than all the prophets of old. And they communicated God's word. 
Remember that the objective of this letter, of this sermon of Hebrews, is to show the contrast between the old and the new covenants. In the old covenant times, as God's word came forth and was laid out in his acts and in his words and laid out in the scripture, his point throughout this book is that all of that was a precursor. It was the prologue. It, 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 was, it was the shadows that were pointing to the ultimate reality. Did I just go out? Okay. It, pointing to the ultimate reality, the final word, the goal of all of the Old Testament, the person of Jesus the Christ. God's Son <clears throat> coming into the world. That's what he says. God spoke by His Son. Notice he does not say, formerly God spoke by the Old Testament prophets, the Hebrew prophets, and in these last days he has spoken to us by his apostles in the New Testament. It's not what he says. That's true. And it's true in the writer's mind. Just flip over to chapter 2 for a moment. Listen to what he says there, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, Jesus himself. And it was attested to us by those who heard, specifically the apostles, Watch, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will in the apostles' word. But the point here in Hebrews 1 is that in these last days, God has done something very different. Don't miss it. To communicate, he sent his son. The son is different. He is not just a prophet. He is far above all false prophets. And he's far above all genuine prophets like Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah. God spoke how? By His Son. He is God's Son. And he's only got one in that sense. He, he didn't speak by someone that he made 
and then call them son and say, I sent him. He spoke by his son. And that means that that son is God. And the writer, so that we don't miss it, goes on to say concerning the son in verse 3, he, the son, Jesus from Nazareth, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact reduplication or imprint of God's nature. He, that Son, upholds the universe by the word of His power. The point of verses 2 and 3 is to warn us never to make the mistake that Jesus is just another prophet. But instead to understand that the Son, that person, is the very stuff of God. Of God's very divine nature, glory. He is its outshining to the creation when He came. He is the very imprint of His nature. So the point that verse 2 is making is that God has not just spoken by inspiring the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, but He has spoken by coming to us in the person of His Son. You remember John 14? Philip. He comes to Jesus and he said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? If you've seen me, here's a human being speaking to him. You've seen the Father. Oh, Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Philip, how can you say, show me the Father? So who Jesus was, who He is, what He said, what He did, what He accomplished is, according to the Hebrew writer, is God's very Word. Communication. Truth. To us. simply says it this way. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. 
you go on to read chapter 1 and into chapter 2, it becomes obvious that a problem was arising with this church or these group of Christians. And one of the problems was they were fascinated with the unseen world, spiritual world, angelology. And they're being caught up into it. And he's, the writer, are you missing it? Yes, there's a spiritual world, but the, the, what you're doing with that, whether with, with God's messengers or so many today. I mean, I've been, I've been around and praying with fellow Christians who talk, recently, who talk to Satan in their prayers much more than they talk to God. They're dabbling in this, this angelology. Or the ways to put it is, and they want to see stuff in communications, and an angel appear to you, and you get a message, and he's, he's flabbergasted. God spoke to us by sending his son. And so all of us who find ourselves dabbling in the new book, a new movement within Christianity. Novel theology. That's new. Stuff that's in bookstores and you'll find all over the internet. Or, or maybe we are just privately complaining. I need God to speak fresh. Send me a prophet. We need to ask ourselves, when, when that's coming about in us, broken people, have I really heard this word? Is this word spoken from God in the coming of the Son really so short and, and so simplistic that I have utterly exhausted it. I've exhausted all of the communication and the knowledge of God that He has given that now I'm kind of bored. I need another word. Has the understanding of all that the Son's life meant purchase has it been grasped with my mind and embraced with my heart's affection so that something else now please i need new stuff god has communicated by sending his son. And we'll see next week that because of his work in his resurrection, he has ascended and he is sitting on the right hand of God. And he's very much alive and available and present. 
in his divine nature by the Holy Spirit. So now, notice he goes on to say something specific about the Son. Middle of verse 2, still referring to Jesus. Whom he, God, appointed the heir of all things. The, the inheritor of all things, through whom also God created the world. So why does he add that? I think the answer is because he wants us to dwell on the fact that the one that we listen to, what he's done and as the fulfillment of the Hebrew Scripture, who's very much alive, and the promises he made, he wants us to know that that one will fulfill every promise he's ever made to you, dear believer. you got to see it. How do we know that? Because he's the heir. He's the heir. He is the inheritor of all things. Okay, th think about it. In the end, Jesus will have everything that exists that is not God. He'll have it all subjected to him at his disposal. So if that son says something like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or if he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, then he can and he will make good on those promises because he will own heaven and earth. He is able. God appointed him. Him. That man to be the heir of everything. In other words, when you when you listen to the Son of God, it's different. And here's his point. Then even listening to what God says through the prophets. And God says it through the prophets. God will make good on all of his promises as he did by sending his Son. But the Son himself, he will make good on all his promises. Every word that he spoke. And I think that's the reason why the writer goes on to say and make it clear. Not only is he heir, but through whom God created the universe, the world. In other words... There's a sense in which 
We can't understand Jesus being appointed the heir of all things unless we understand that everything was created through him, by him. Until you know that a person, and they have through church history, they might say something like Jesus he was a great man, just like us. He was chosen to be exalted to some special role as the heir. Because it says he was appointed. Okay, I can see that. That man whom God created... Thus, and there was a time, and then God decided, I'm going to appoint that man to be the heir. And that, because of that created part, would be a horrible mistake. No, he makes it clear, this is the one through whom He created the universe. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Think about it. The one He's talking about is Jesus, who is a true man, who was born, who lived in history in a particular geographical area, but we will not understand him and who he really is until we recognize that he's also God. The creator of the universe. We all know how his good friend John, the son of Zebedee, opened up his prologue to the Gospel of John. So hear it in light of Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So so, so the Son existed with the Father Eternally, meaning without beginning. As himself, God. Flip over to he, I mean Philippians, Philippians 2 for a moment. And you know it, but just I'm going to look at verse 7 and 8 real briefly. And notice here how he says, that Jesus was in the form or nature, 
the Greek word morphe. He was in the morphe of God. He is the one who took to himself human morphe, nature. Verse 7. But Jesus, the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Everything's created through Him and by Him. He made Himself nothing. How? By, that's what the I-N-G, taking, it's a, it's a Greek participle, by taking the form or the morphe of a servant. Let's unpack it more. He says, by being born in the likeness of men. <laughs> by being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's why John goes on to say in that prologue, and the Word became flesh, human, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. He is the imprint of the glory of we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, just so you know, dear fellow Christian, gosh, I love continuing to preach texts like this that many of you know the theology so well and what a joy to continue to say it and so let's say it and say it clearly the second person of the holy trinity who is very god of very god he took to himself his person another nature the human nature Jesus is not human or a man from eternity past. As is true of His divine nature. Without beginning, He is divine. But then He became human at a particular point in Time in the creation through the womb of Mary, the incarnation. When he did that, his deity did not change into humanity. That is, that is his God nature did not morph into human nature and nor did his god nature mix with human nature in order to come up with a third entity it's not what happened but the eternal 
person of the Son took to his person, added to his person, the nature of man, of humanity. While all along maintaining his divine God nature. And that's why the church has always affirmed when we're referring to Jesus, we mean one person with two natures. We don't mean a divine slash human nature. We don't mean two persons. There's the human Jesus, and there's the divine Jesus, or divine Christ, or something. No. But one person, the eternal person of the Son, with two distinct natures. That's who we're referring. Just for a moment, look down a couple verses with what, what the author makes crystal clear concerning who we're talking about. Yeah, we're talking about a, a genuine human being. But, 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 but who is this human being? Begin with verse 6. He says, but unlike the angels of the Son, God says. Okay, here it is. And he quotes Psalm 45. Of the Son, he says, now this is speaking to Jesus, your throne, O God. Okay. I know a lot of you don't know how to use the comma real well when it comes to direct address. Well, the good thing, they got good editors who put out Bibles, and they do. Because, O God, means that's the one who's being addressed. The Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. He certainly has, and He also appointed Him to be the heir. So the Son created everything that is. And verse 3 then says, and He upholds in existence the universe by the will. That's what the Word's going to go to. He wills it. It's His Word by the Word of His power. So then, having said that, back to what sense, then, is Jesus appointed by another, the, the Father, by God? In what sense is he appointed to be the heir of all things? Okay. I, here's my best shot at it. I think the point is this. It's clear. It's clear what he's writing. It's clear today right, that much of the all things that are created, the, much of the world, the universe, 
the creation itself is even still in rebellion against him. And God, he has ordained, now this is the key where he's going to go. We'll see it next week. He has ordained that because the Son, in His obedience, in His life, in His substitutionary death, and in His triumphant resurrection, and then ascension on high, He has ordained that all of those enemies one day will be utterly subdued and all creation seen and unseen it will bow down and it will acknowledge that they are ruled they're owned by Jesus of Nazareth the Christ that's his point the writer says that very Clearly, but with different words. If you flip over to chapter 10 for a moment. In verses 12 to 13. He says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Here it is. Waiting. Waiting. From that time. Until. His enemies. Should be made. A footstool. For his feet. Oh he's been appointed heir of all things. And all of that transfer, it's coming. It's in the will, and he is the inheritor. So in other words, Jesus is the heir of everything by virtue here of his incarnation, his humanity, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation to the right hand of God, and the period of time that is from then to when he returns. He not only has the right to be the heir, the inheritor of all things by virtue of his godness, because he created it all, which is right there in the text, but also because he came and he defeated all the enemies of God. And he purchased for himself sinful people out of that. A lost people for God's glory forever. He purchased them out of the punishment of it and death itself which came because of sin. And that is the last enemy one day that will be defeated when he comes into his full inheritance. So he is the heir of all things in one sense because he created everything. 
And he is appointed by the Father to be the heir in another sense. Because he came. And he suffered and he died and he rose again to redeem for himself a people and to destroy sin and death and Satan and everything that could make his people miserable in any way. To just relate to the Son as creator of the universe would be a terrible thing for us sinners. But to relate also to Him as Savior, as brother, as heir, inheritor of all things, that's the greatest possible news ever. We call it the gospel. So Jesus can and and he will make good on his word because he is the creator of all things. And because he is triumphant heir over all evil and all misery. God has spoken to us by his son. As a heater, the, 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 the heater, the Hebrew writer makes clear. He says to us in this room. Make sure you keep hearing him who is speaking. Hear him. Hear him live the gospel by embracing it every day, loving it more and more. It's your body slowly wasting away. Don't miss the point of the text this morning. This is the better word than anything the prophets ever spoke. In many ways and at many times. Because this, the word, come to us is the fulfillment of all they spoke. Oh, man. One last thing. Let's go back to the contrast he lays out here. See what he's driving at. Long ago, God spoke. You can put yourself back in the first century, and still long ago, God spoke. But in these last days, he has spoken. The last days begin with the first coming of Jesus. We have been living in the last days ever since Jesus in the first century. These are the last days of history before the full and the final establishment of the kingdom of God in its consummation when he comes into his full inheritance. Look, a very solid analogy of this is D-Day, June 6th. Is that right? 6th? Is it 6th? 1944. Storming the beaches of Normandy, the Allies. Bloody. But finally, 
taking the shore. The war was over. Victory was secured with almost, okay, it's an overstatement, but just with as much as the Allies need from America and Britain and however much France is going to. Ship after ship, troop after troop, tank after tank, gun after gun, Germany's done for. But there are battles to be fought. But they're secured. Less than a year later, my dad goes over under Patton's army. And they're marching through France, and the Germans put up one last big stink of a battle and made a massive bulge in the line. Call it the Battle of the Bulge. People still died. Fight had to be won. But who was going to win the war was never in question. Just a matter of time. Finally, push that bulge back. Just a couple months now into Germany. War is over. D-Day is when Jesus came and he struck the decisive blow through his coming, through his death, through his resurrection. We have been in the last days ever since. Because he's bringing decisive victory to all who are his. That is not in doubt. Now right there, all that I just laid out there, that's, that's basic New Testament doctrine. But now the point of the writer is that the word of God spoken by the Son, it is the decisive word. The decisive voice, the decisive communication of God. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by His Son. In these last days, the fulfillment of all that came before was written, is in Christ. And He gave it to His apostles to take it as His, not just sent ones, personal emissaries of him. And therefore, it will not be followed in this age by any greater word, by any new revelation, by any replacement word. This is the Word of God, the person, the teaching, the work of Jesus Christ. He is it. There is no further revelation. 600 years later, through Muhammad, or 1900 years later, through Joseph Smith, as Bob preached the book of Jude, to us last week. Here is how Jude says it. 
Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to fight through France to Germany. To fight or to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What this means is that the coming of that the word of God which came into the world in its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ it's come. We have it. And with that what we have is this profound historical world view and its theology about God and its soteriology about salvation and can keep going. So laid out in that word, now written, is, is given what you are to grasp about the cross. The writer takes us there next week. About the atonement, what is it? About sanctification. What is that? About the infilling of the Holy Spirit. What are we to know about that? About divine election, new birth, and the doctrine of the church. We have been given it. <clears throat> and it's here. And that's why we, according to the writer make sure we do not refuse him who is speaking. That stuff was communicated in the person of the word himself and thus communicated in writings through his apostles. Because when Jude says here, contend or the faith. The way he's using the word faith there is not like believe or trust. He means faith in the sense of contend for the body of doctrine. The faith. The stuff. The message that we have and understand and has been given. And that's it. There's no more to come in that sense. There's no need that's why the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So, back to the question of us frail, still sinful, human saints, sanctified, set apart, and dwelt by the Spirit. Knowing sometimes the longer you live, a hard and painful life can be. Here's the question that each of us is to ask ourselves again today.
Have you gotten to the place where you have already exhausted the word of God? The one spoken through the prophets and finally in the Son as revealed by the apostles. In other words, do you find yourself craving something else? Even spiritually, a fresh word, a new teaching? Are you bored? Are you bored with the Old Testament? With the New Testament? Are you bored because you've already mastered it? They're already so much a part of everything you think. And, and they have already so shaped you and so sanctified your being to the maximum that, okay, I'm done with that. What's next? Or this is the temptation we all go through. We know it. Have we? And when you go ups and downs, are you in a down? Think about it. Have we treated the Word of God so lightly because we just skim it like we do Facebook? Or Twitter? Or if you're ready for Medicare, you still read a paper daily breeze and you skim the front page of it. Have we decided, I want something more? Well, because we are undone, because we are being sanctified, we're broken and we're sinful people. Every one of us is tempted that way. So here's the call today again. Pursue. Pursue the call to know the Word. To commune with God through the written word. To commune with the very word himself who is present by the Holy Spirit. Though in his humanity he has ascended on high. Commune with and pursue this final word. Let's meditate upon it. Read it in its context. Think about the flow of what's being communicated. Whatever part of it you're reading, memorize it. Linger over it. Let it soak into your pores, your bloodstream. Bleed Bible. That's the call. Now I can hear it because I can hear it from a lot of fellow Christians at this point. I've lived in these kind of communities. But what about the Holy Spirit? Have you missed it? That's what I'm talking about. That's it. The call. Boredom of the Bible is... Sin 
and deception that we all have to battle. And we will never have victories in that without the work of the Spirit. To walk in the Holy Spirit is at its core pursuing the Word of God and grasping it. And loving and, and knowing right now I can't even concentrate. I'm bored with you, God. And that's why I need you right now to help me. That is the core of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is sent to turn our attention to the Son. The Word of God constantly. This is the Spirit's great work. It's the ultimate goal of all of His various gifts that He gives into His bodies, His churches. And so let's go on. Not just to know about, but to know. Jesus, to spend time in the presence of the Lord, which is by definition mixed with his written communication. Remember the night Jesus was betrayed, he prayed in front of his apostles these words Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God has spoken. He is speaking to us. In and through and by his Son, delivered once for all to the saints. In the Old, the New Testament, and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. With that, let's go on and on. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you're good. You're gracious. Lord Jesus, you have purchased the redemption of everything for us. And you have purchased our sanctification. So, in the exhortation that I have just given, I say and ask, do it, O Lord, by the power of your Spirit in each and every one of us Christians' lives to the glory of your name. Amen.